In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? The heat is turning up. The leaders of the church had been arrested a couple of times, kept overnight in jail a couple of times, delivered by an angel from jail one time, beaten for preaching the gospel in the temple and house to house. Chapter 5 ends with these words, daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease. Tell somebody, don't quit. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as being who he said he was. And the pressure to stop it is even on today. It's no longer politically correct to say what Jesus said. What did he say? I am the only way to the Father. No one can come to God but by me. That's considered narrow-minded, egotistical, even bigoted. But Jesus said it, and it is not. If it is true, and I believe it is true, he's proven himself to me to be the Savior of the world. He's been my Savior. So they continue to preach and teach in spite of opposition, privately and publicly, in the temple 
and house to house. External pressure can be hard, can it? But internal conflict is bad too. In fact, it can be worse. It can destroy everything. It must be responded to. can't be swept under the rug. Verse 1 of chapter 6, we heard Luke, the character played by Dean Jones, um, said in those days, we don't know how much time elapsed between verse 42 of chapter 5 and verse 1 of chapter 6. It could have been a week, could have been in that season, could have been a year or more. In those days, a number of the disciples was multiplying, and then there arose murmuring, a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The church began on the day of Pentecost several years before this and was exploding with growth from day one from people from out of town who come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival season and they just stayed and began to live communally for some eight years before persecution begins to arrive, uh, uh, happen before the end of this chapter. And then a scattering occurs by chapter 8. And um, with these people from out of town, there's needs. Everybody gets hungry. Anybody hungry yet? So they shared their goods. Even some went back home and sold stuff, came back so that they could contribute greatly to help the church's needs be met, and they would lay these gifts at the feet of the apostles. But now the church is too big. Somebody is dropping the ball. The, the wheels are coming off their Meals on Wheels program for their widows. Now, why do they have so many widows that it would cause alarm to come in the church? You have to understand the culture of Israel. All Jews at that time wanted to die in Israel. In fact, it was believed by some that the resurrection, the great resurrection, would happen in Israel. So I want to be there so I can rise from the dead. If I'm someplace else, it's going to be hard. Uh, let's go there. It's much easier to die in Israel and rise from the dead. And so some couples would go to Israel to die, to retire, live out their time. And of course, uh, some maybe travel to, to Israel for a festival and they were so old it was too hard to get there. They say, man, we're not leaving. And of course, as is usual, the husband dies, leaving the wife behind. So the church is born, and who's ripe for the gospel? Needy people. They just are. Why? They know they need a Savior. Jesus said, the well don't need a physician. So he came for the brokenhearted. He came for the weak. He came for the destitute. And so the church, no doubt, has hundreds, if not thousands, of these people. Now, the Hellenists were Jews from other countries. The Greeks had conquered the world, that part of the known world, uh, what we call Eastern and Western Europe and North Africa, and, and, and then the Romans conquered them, but Greek culture stayed. And so the Jews that lived in other nations, no doubt, practiced some things in their culture. There was a difference between how they lived and how the homeboys lived, how the homeland people lived, in the land. Even today they have some of this. There's, there's what they call sabras, which is a kind of a word for a, a cactus. Sabras today are Israelis who were born in Israel. They're people of the land. And then the immigrants, the Jews moving in from Russia, Ethiopia, uh, other countries. And so even today they can have some ethnic conflict between the different flavors of Jews. And this is what's happening. The homeland Jews, the Hebrews, uh, 
were doing better care for their widows. And some of this is understanding. You know, if you're from Israel and you get old, your kids are by you, your grandchildren are by you, even your great-grandchildren are by you. But if you have come from Macedonia or Turkey or Galatia or even Greece or beyond, even, you know, into Spain, if you've come to Israel, guess who you left behind? Your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. So you're really alone living there. So this was a, this was a cultural problem. And the church was trying to meet people's needs, and the apostles just had their hands full. They're teaching and preaching every day in the temple and house to house. You think about how busy they were. It is staggering. I mean, from day one, they baptized 3,000 people. If all 12 of them did the baptizing, you divide 12 into 3,000, that's 250 apiece. Day one, they were busy. And every day, I mean, by chapter 4, there's 5,000 people. Um, and some say that's just counting the men. So these dudes were busy. And it wasn't long before they were not able to make sure that the food distribution was done fairly. So verse 2, they called the crowd together and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, if you notice the last last word in verse 1 is the word distribution. Widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The word there for distribution is the word diakonia, which is the word from which we get the word deacon. It's related to deaconing, ministering, serving, not bossing, not controlling, but helping, administrate, helping the church to be effective. And they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The word therefore serve is diakoneo, which is also related to the word deacon. Uh, Verse 4, they said, you know, we want to appoint these people Verse 4 says, we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word or continually give ourselves to the diakonia of the word, the ministering of the word. Now, some have said this is the appointing of the first deacons. This is the first place we see deacons mentioned in the Bible. Well, they're not called deacons. The word deacon is in the text three times and it has to do with ministering, has to do with serving, has to do with being a servant has to do with making sure the bases are covered, making sure the apostles are freed up, not that they're bossed around. Some churches are deacon-possessed churches in this culture. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the word deacon has been abused. Deacons have gotten a bad rap. The deacons that serve well are worthy. They're worthy of reward. They're worthy of honor. But the bad rap comes from um, the bossy deacon boards that are running pastors off in various churches that are struggling, even in our community. This, can, this has happened and does happen. They get beyond the concept of serving to running things their way. Um, one church in town uh, was being effective in evangelism And they had baptized a bunch of children and had a great, fruitful vacation Bible school. And the pastor met with the deacons who ran the church and said, gave a great report. And he's expecting some attaboys. He's expecting some celebration. Yes, Lord, we're being effective. And one of them spouted off and said, 
I don't care about those kids. What we need around this place is some damn tithers. Yeah. It's what that actually happened. Discouraged the pastor so much because the other deacons didn't speak up and correct the guy that he resigned. Anyway, so the point is, I'm not pointing fingers at churches. I'm just pointing fingers at the fact deacons are here to serve. That's the whole point. It's the function. If you're not serving, you're not a deacon. Um, unfortunately, the word deacon was a transliter- is a transliterated word from the Greek word diakonos, or, which is part of the word diakonia and diakoneo, which is in this, this passage in the original language, the Greek language. Um, why they didn't translate it minister, I don't know. Other places they do. Here they did. It's an unfortunate thing. They translated uh, episkopos to bishop or overseer. The translators translated presbyteros or presbyter to elder, which implies the character of a leader and overseer to the function of a leader. They translated those words, but diakonos, they they chose to transliterate it. They kind of did the same thing with the word baptizo, which means to immerse. Why didn't they just translate the word immerse? Now we, all got, now we have all the different modes of baptism and people fighting over which is the proper baptism. If they just translated the word, it would have ended a lot of conflict. Nothing holy about the Greek language, just like any other language, functioning language, communicate thoughts and concepts just like English does. And so here in our church, we do have deacons, but we translated the word. They're ministers. We have all these different ministries in our church, which could be called de- deaconates, diaconates. There are tables that are served. There, there, there's ministries that are formed to meet the needs of people, ministers. Um, I believe the church is led by overseers and ministers. And I believe that we all ultimately are called to ministry. Ephesians 4.11 says that Jesus gave the church apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That word ministry is the word deacon. So the saints are equipped for deaconing. So we're all deacons, as it were, in, in one form of the word or another. You know, if you have a home that's functioning properly, the dad is the overseer and the mom is the deacon. And they are running a smoothly oiled machine, if it's running right. All right. If both parents are present, anyway. All right, back to the sermon. Man, I get on that and start ranting and raving. Um, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables or deacon tables. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom, you, whom we may appoint over this business. In other words, y'all nominate these seven people, and we're going to do the appointing. So they wanted the final say, just in case that somebody slipped through the cracks, because the, the, the 12 had already had experience with Judas, and they didn't want another Judas in their midst overseeing resources like he did. He was stealing from Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. Judas didn't just betray Jesus. He stole from his ministry. So there's three qualifications. These seven guys should be a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. 
So did the church only have seven guys like this? No. There were hundreds of guys like this. But just choose seven of them. So if you didn't get chosen, it wasn't like, what am I, you know, blue cheese? Who am I? Why didn't you choose me? Well, how did they choose? I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's interesting that all the guys they chose, their name there, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, which means pro-chorus or before the chorus or before the dance. Just a little trivia there. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These guys are all Hellenistic Jews. They're all Greeks. Who better to choose to make sure the Greek widows aren't being neglected than guys from the same ethnicity? Be more sensitive to it, right? You don't appoint a teenager to oversee the senior citizens ministry, right? They can serve it, but not oversee it. You know what I mean? So they're in touch with the with the culture with which they are going to be assigned the task to serve. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us today in such a way that our lives are changed. Help our church to be be functioning in a healthy way. Help us, Lord, to make adjustments where we should today. Lord, may the word have impact even on our future as a congregation and as individuals and even as business men who are represented and women in the crowd. Amen. We're on a series going verse by verse through Acts, declaring truths as they stand out to us in light of continuing Christ's ministry. Jesus came and began something. If you want to read what his mission was, his, his uh, manifesto, as it were, is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's called me to heal the brokenhearted, to deliver those who are captive and heal those that are blind and the whole chapter is just an amazing vision. And then he died and rose from the dead and left and sent back the Holy Spirit, told his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Continue the ministry he began. And this involves leadership. Everybody say leadership. So today we're going to talk for a few minutes on leadership lessons. Can we say that? Lesson number one, making new leaders should be needed. You know, if there's only 10 people in a church, you don't need 10 deacons. Hope this isn't politically incorrect, but you can't have so many chiefs and not enough Indians that nothing gets done because everybody's bossing everybody. There has to be a need, and there was a need here. This need arose. The apostles were trying to do it all. They're a team. Obviously, the Lord didn't leave his work in the hands of one man. The superstar Christian is not a New Testament concept. That is something created in the mind of dictators. Team ministry. And the team wasn't big enough to make sure things were being done. Obviously, people are helping, but to oversee it, I mean, really to get it off their shoulders, they needed to make some changes. And the need was there for leadership. More leaders should help existing leaders. In other words, these guys... We're going to oversee this ministry. They would be accountable to the 12, but they're not going to run to them every day. Hey, we're low on salt. No, they would do something about the salt issue. They had authority. They would carry the ball. They would help free up the leaders and not burden the leaders. It'd be people that didn't need pats on the back all the time. It'd be people that could take the ball and do it. You ever feel like this? So overwhelmed by the task? It's time to delegate. 
time to find some trustworthy people. Leaders should be known by their peers. You don't want a leader that nobody knows. Well, he seems like a nice guy. She, she looks like a nice person. You want to know people that labor among you. Now, as a church grows, if the, the elders of the church insist on knowing every single person in the church that's a leader, then that church is just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. But no, the people in leadership have to be trusted to know those that labor among them. And so they trusted the crowd to know who would, who would be good for this job, who would be ideal for this task. Otherwise, you could be like this person, appointing someone that you don't know who sure enough is a Judas or sure enough runs off with the ball and does it. When we were a little church, we were vulnerable when we were new. Oh, I want to serve in children's ministry, complete stranger. They couldn't last two weeks. Or, oh, I want to clean the church. And it'd be time for church, and man, nothing's, nothing's done. Know those who labor among you. Some people are great for planning parties, but they're not great for cleaning up afterwards. We all have different gifts, amen? Having a good reputation is very important. Now, we know Jesus made himself of no reputation. But that doesn't mean he did not have a good reputation. He had a good reputation to lay it down as a sacrifice, to die on the cross as a criminal, even though he was guiltless. And if we're to lay our lives down for the Lord, our reputations matter. Now, people will lie on you, people will slander you, and there's a time you just have to exercise the right to remain silent. And while a lie goes around the world, truth is putting its shoes on. Eventually, the truth's going to come out and your character is going to be proven. And you can come through stuff like that with promotions even. So our reputation is important. But a, a guy, if a guy has a reputation for uh, abusing kids, you don't put him in children's ministry. Do they need church? Yes, they do. And there's plenty of room in men's ministry. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. A reputation is not the same thing as intention. A reputation is a track record, and it takes time to build. It just does. If you go to a church and they give you authority right away, I wouldn't trust them because they'll take it away from you right away too. Oh, we made a mistake. Man, you're no longer. Knowing who you're amongst and knowing who's among you is very important. Number five, church leadership should be spirit-filled, full of the Holy Spirit. It's not, when were you filled with the Spirit? Oh, back in 97. No, it's, are you filled with the Spirit? Full of the Holy Spirit. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit are not mean as snakes. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit are quick to repent when they see the error of their ways. People who are full of the Holy Spirit have a desire in their heart to manifest through through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. Against such, there is no law. If your heart, your spirit, man, had a gauge on it for reading the fullness of the spirit, would it read full? Or would it read F for fumes? 
They should be full of the wisdom for the task. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom implies they're full of the Holy Spirit and they're full of wisdom. In other words, they know what they're doing. You know, if a person can't remember 2 plus 2 equals 4 minus 1 equals 3 times 2 equals 6, you may not want to put them in charge of the storeroom of food for taking care of the widows. You'll run out because they miscalculated. Full of wisdom. Now, 1 Corinthians 1 says that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called by God. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound those who are wise. This doesn't mean we can't be wise. It just means most of us, when he saves us, we got a whole lot of learning to do. Got wisdom? Read a chapter out of Proverbs every day and pray and do this for months and you will begin to have some wisdom in your life because you remember what the Word says. Remembering what the Word says gives you wisdom. The Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light into our pathway. The entrance of God's Word gives light. It answers our questions. It gives us questions to ask others about things we don't quite understand. And you'll look back and it's like, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting to be a wise guy in the best sense of the word. The leadership team should appoint them. In, in this case, the people nominated the leader they were looking for. They confirmed the leader they were looking for and the elders or the apostles appointed them. And they laid hands on them after praying. Was this a ceremonial prayer? Was this praying just then? No, I think the apostles were praying every day. Lord, help us to find somebody. Help us to find the guys that do this task. And then came the laying on of hands. Too many times churches lay hands and then they pray, Oh, Lord, we laid hands on the wrong person. Help. Paul told Timothy, chapter 5, verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone suddenly. There's a danger when you think there's a slot that has to be filled. Maybe that ministry needs to take a break for a while until the Lord makes it obvious who needs to oversee it. Because some people are wolves in sheep's clothing. Some people are just mean sheep. You don't, you don't want any mean sheep in charge of other sheep. They'll bite them. Ultimately, this is about fulfilling God's call. Stephen didn't stay in this function. He began to become a public preacher. A healing ministry was something God was calling him into, signs and wonders among the people. And an apologist for the faith, <laughs> maybe the greatest it ever was. He was so good he didn't last long. They had to wipe him out. What is your calling? What is God calling you to do? What's in front of you? He's calling us to be faithful. But on down the road, there may be something else that you know he's called you to do. Maybe, I'll just give an example. Maybe you feel called to be a missionary. But somehow the door is not opened. Uh, you got something on your record. It keeps you from getting a passport or a visa or whatever. It's going to be a while to get that cleared up. Whatever it is doesn't mean you don't have a ministry now. And the ministry now doesn't mean you're stuck in that for the rest of your life, whatever it is. I, I wanted to be a pastor. I felt called to be a pastor and got ahead of God. I never ran from his call, but I ran ahead, from, ahead of him many times and wound up having to close the church. 
So I thought, well, that'll never happen. Um, let's find a healthy church to raise our kids in and help them in the children's ministry. We did that. And there were numerous other pastors in that church as well, people in the same boat. They had pastored and got fired or pastored and closed their church or felt called a pastor and been to Bible school but just waiting on God's leadership. There were opportunities to serve galore in children's ministry. Many of them wouldn't do that. That's not my calling. I'm not called to do that. Some of them may still be scratching their heads thinking, I I thought I was called to preach. Meanwhile, there's opportunities to serve all around. Kids, well, they're just kids. Just kids? They have the whole of their life to live. You know, D.O. Moody went out ministering one time and came home told his people three and a half people got saved. Oh, really? Three adults and one children? No, three children and one adult. The adults already lived half his life. Three children have their whole life to live. What is God's calling for you ultimately, and what is God's calling right now? What opportunity is in front of you right now? Go for it. Well, the nursing home's open, but I don't feel called to that. Well, if you have to feel led before you do everything, buy a fishing weight. Keep it in your pocket. (laughs) I mean, think of the benefits. These people are almost about to stand before the king. They're almost to exit the bounds of time and enter the realm of eternity. We have an opportunity to extend the gospel. The last altar call could be yours. It's a fertile harvest field. Looks like a cotton field. Well, yeah. Unless they're bald. All right. God is calling. Will you answer? Your phone's going off like crazy. Answer it. Okay, Miss Laura, I'll serve in children's ministry. You know... I'm not coming from a position of urgency or needing somebody to serve in something. I'm just shooting in the dark, folks, just shooting in the dark. Leaders should know attackers will rise. Conflict's going to come. You're going to get slammed. In fact, if the thing you feel called to do isn't happening, enjoy the break. Because it's not all what you think it's cut out to be. Attacks will come. Saul, who had a calling on his life too, but he wasn't fulfilling it. He was doing something he wasn't called to do. Made havoc of the church, entering every house. Can we say every house? And dragging off men and women. You reckon they dragged off some old women? Committing them to prison. So what happened to the widow's ministry then? The wheels completely came off the Wheels on Wheels ministry then. So did these seven just sit around? Well, okay, I'm just waiting for the church to get back on its feet so I can do my ministry again. No, they found other areas to serve. We must all remember things can change. Conflict sometimes is good, sometimes it's bad, but good can always come out of it. Because things have to change. Chapter 8, verse 4 says, those who were scattered because of the persecution went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere. Are we preaching the word everywhere? Is there a Bible study at lunch at your school during lunch? Is there a Bible study on your job? 
Maybe you have authority on your job. Are you using that authority for the kingdom? Having a Bible study each week? Who knows? There's opportunities galore. The word of God's to spread everywhere. And who, who knows where that could lead? Opportunity is knocking. It's knocking. Maybe the thing you, you think God's called you to is so far inferior to what he's actually called you to, you're counting yourself out. Oh, hush. Change is ahead. Change is going to come to all of us. Even as we get older, change is coming. Change is coming to our nation. Change is coming to our church. Change is coming to our town. Change is coming to the world. Change is coming to your family. Change is coming to your personal life. Even if it's just a birthday, they accumulate. Each birthday means change is coming. Somebody's going to be born, somebody's going to die, somebody's going to betray you, somebody's going to stab you in the back, somebody's going to help you, somebody's going to give you a raise, somebody's going to fire you, somebody's going to enable you to serve in some capacity beyond your dreams, and somebody's going to replace you. Change is coming. Look for the opportunities to advance the kingdom for the sake. Because unwanted changes can be a good thing. Philip. Because of these changes, one of these seven went to the city of Samaria. Now the gospel is going beyond Jerusalem and preached Christ to them. The multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So much fruit he called for the apostles to come and lay hands on them for no 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 one had received the baptism of the holy spirit yet they had only been baptized one of these seven had a huge change become came that came because of persecution the church grew what's happening christ's ministry is continuing that's what ultimately what the call of god is for all of us to do our part to man our battle stations whatever we're called to do and continue the ministry of Jesus. It could be as extreme as planting a church here or planting a church in Alaska or being a missionary to China or establishing a business in Cuba. It could be whatever it is, it's about continuing the ministry of Jesus. And that's what's finally happening. Eight years a church stayed in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, not fulfilling what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Yes. Judea. Yes. Samaria. Now it's happening, Philip. Chapter 8 of Acts. And to the uttermost part of the earth. And the mission continues. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that anything I said that was not of you, I pray, Lord, it would just fall to the ground and die that people would cut me slack in mercy because I need it. But Lord, anything I said that is challenging, that is you speaking, I pray, Lord, that it would not fall to the ground and die. It would not be forgotten. But it would be taken to you in prayer and say, Lord, what are you saying? What I need to step up and do that's far beyond my dreams. Or it is in my dreams and I've held back because of fear or Whatever, Lord, what is in front of me that I can do? Help me, Lord.
Help me, Lord, to be the deacon you've called me to be in the area you've called me to serve. Lord, I pray every person here would know they're a minister, they're called into ministry, or may the pursuit of being equipped become a passion for everyone in this room. 